Key Economic Releases Affecting Fixed Income Yields Insights into Sectors Influencing Fixed Income Securities How AAM Plans to Capitalize on These Themes for Your Fixed Income Portfolio The Portfolio Fix is a podcast series featuring members of AAM's investment and portfolio management team. We will discuss the timely issues affecting the fixed income investments of our insurance clients. Welcome to another episode of The Portfolio Fix, a podcast series from AAM. My name is Patrick McGeever, and today I'll be joined first by Marco Bravo, who heads up our economic committee and is a senior portfolio manager. And then Elizabeth Henderson will join us. She's our director of corporate credit. So with that, welcome, Marco. Thanks, Pat. So we're coming out of a negative, volatile, and messy quarter where trying to predict economic data points was really challenging. So I thought we might begin with some of our findings that you presented at our monthly economic committee meeting. Um, One of the key takeaways was how recent economic data points have measured up relative to expectations. So maybe you can spend a minute on um, the economic surprise index. Sure. Um, So the surprise index that we follow is maintained by Citigroup. And what it does is tracks how economic data is uh, progressing relative to consensus forecasts uh, from market economists. And when that index is rising and above zero, what that tells you is that the, uh, for the most part or on balance, uh, economic releases are beating consensus forecasts. And so if you look at that index here most recently, it began moving upward and into positive territory in early June and It's not um, without coincidence that that the uh, May employment report, which was released in early June, um, beat market expectations. And since then, um, a lot of the economic data, uh, for example, retail sales shortly after the May employment report came out, um, beat expectations. And we've seen uh, a continuation of that. Now, most recently, again, if looking at the index, seems to have peaked about a week ago and, and has started to trend down modestly and probably reflective of kind of a slight moderation in, in the pace of economic recovery as certain states here in the U.S. Uh, are being forced to deal with a pickup in uh, COVID-19 cases. But for the most part, that index remains positive, well above zero, uh, which reflects economic releases beating consensus expectations. Okay, and, and that seems to um, mirror some of these uh, the improved data that we've seen from uh, these unconventional, unconventional real-time activity trackers that have become more in vogue since the crisis um, took place. So, I guess. Where does that leave consensus expectations for the second half of the year? And and does AAM agree with uh, consensus at this point? Well, right now, if you look at the consensus among economists is for 
U.S. real GDP to increase by 14 percent uh, on an annualized basis. Um, but there continues to be a lot of uncertainty around that number. And if you look at the most optimistic forecasts, which are calling for roughly about a 22% increase in GDP growth in the second half versus the most pessimistic, which are calling for a negative 5% growth rate. The uh, that's a pretty wide dispersion. You don't really see <laughs> I'll say. Dis- you don't see that wide of a dispersion between and the most optimistic and, and most pessimistic. And that's to be expected given the high degree of uncertainty specifically regarding the path of, of the of uh, the uh, COVID-19 virus. As far as kind of where AAM stands, I'll answer that question by first highlighting what we view as the risks to the um, to, to the economic growth in the second half. Uh, first is uh, a, a slow return of job jobs resulting in a persistent high unemployment rate, um, reduced consumer confidence due to increased COVID-19 cases would be a second risk. And a third risk would be increased uh, social distancing measures as uh, increased cases of COVID-19 present themselves. Uh, two key mitigating factors to those risks w- would be uh, a further fiscal stimulus package out of Washington and a vaccine and or effective treatment. So taken all together uh, at AM, we believe the risks are just slightly skewed to the downside. Uh, we're not in total disagreement with respect to the consensus, uh, just that uh, we view the risk skewed to the downside. Okay, that's reasonable. And uh, given all the uncertainty out there, it makes total sense. Um, I think it's fair to say that the Fed and Treasury actions in the spring helped economic activity in uh, the most recent quarter. Um, Programs like the liquidity facilities, the PPP program, and the primary and secondary corporate credit facilities prevented the pandemic from becoming a financial crisis. So you just mentioned the Fed. Um, How long are we expecting the Fed to remain accommodative? And are there any other programs coming out of Washington that we should monitor, uh, especially closely in the near term? Sure. Well, inflation, when we, when we think about Fed policy, we need to think and, and unemployment. And inflation is expected to remain below the Fed's target, while unemployment is expected to remain above their target. So it seems very unlikely uh, that the Fed will change its stance on monetary policy anytime soon. In fact, following their June or the June FOMC meeting, the update to their dot plot would suggest that there's no change in rates through the end of 2022. As far as AAM is concerned, if we do see you know, positive growth in 2021 with a pickup on in inflation towards the Fed's 2% uh, 
level or target and unemployment rate continuing to come down, we think there's a good chance that the Fed may begin raising rates uh, early 2022. Okay. As far as additional programs, you know, you're right that the Fed has shown a willingness to do whatever it takes to maintain market liquidity and do whatever is necessary. But the key going forward is really going to be the consumer. And with unemployment benefits about to expire at the end of this month, there's very little the Fed can do to help that. So we think uh, fiscal policy response uh, at, at the current time is most important to keep the economic recovery from stalling. So um, given what you just said about our outlook for growth being near consensus, possibly skewed to the downside, along with possible positive fiscal measures, what does that imply for jobs and the unemployment rate uh, going forward? Well, we're coming off of two months of surprising job growth relative to expectations. Um, it wouldn't surprise us if we see a third one um, later uh, this month when the July report is, uh, is uh, produced. Um, but the expectation is for job growth to slow somewhat, or the pace of job growth to slow and what we've seen over the last couple of months. We don't think it'll stall um, as you know, the political will for another complete shutdown, we believe is very low. And so job growth will continue, albeit at a, at a slower pace than what we've seen recently. Okay, Marco, thanks for that information. Uh, we'll keep an eye on uh, the fiscal measures coming out of Washington and review any actions uh, during our next discussion with you. So thanks. Thank you, Pat. Next up is Elizabeth Henderson, AAM's Director of Corporate Credit. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thanks, Pat. Um, okay, let's start with valuations. Uh, bond markets just underwent one of their most violent periods on record. Uh, and in your latest newsletter, you highlighted some key issues that you believe will influence returns in the investment grade corporate bond market. And one of the items you mentioned was the group's ability to take advantage of the dislocation in the market back in March. And I'm wondering how you view valuations currently and what you're recommending to portfolio managers now. You're right. The corporate market did have a very violent period in March. Spreads widened by more than 200 basis points. And we saw new issues coming at spreads more than one standard deviation wide of their historic averages. So if you look at Verizon Communications as one example, it issued a 10-year bond at a spread to treasuries of 220 basis points. That bond's now offered at 78 basis points, which is actually where it was before COVID um, really started in, back in February. Uh, that said, there are plenty of bonds that haven't returned to those pre-COVID levels. Those generally include triple Bs uh, and sectors such as airlines, REITs, energy, and banks. 
Uh, but even with those sectors, the spread of the market today is on average about 20 basis points wide to those pre-COVID levels if you adjust for the fact that the markets actually has a longer duration profile today. Um, so at the end of the day, we believe that's not much of a cushion to account for the potential volatility as there remain key issues uh, that need to be resolved. So just to give you some context, if spreads widen by more than 15 basis points, corporate bonds will underperform treasuries. You wish you would have been in treasuries as a performance-oriented investors versus uh, corporate bonds. So we're recommending uh, to our portfolio managers that are total return oriented that they bring down those overweight positions that we entered uh, back when spreads were much more attractive in, in March and April down uh, to preserve some liquidity to buy when spreads widen. Okay, so um, valuations are, are very tight and um, fundamentals in the second quarter are not so great, um, to put it mildly. So. I guess two items that clearly are influencing the marketplace, or at least returns in the second quarter, was A, the Fed's involvement, and B, technicals. Uh, how do you see these two factors influencing returns in the second half of the year? That's exactly right. Technicals are the main driver, and we expect that to continue in the second half. Um, for investment grade credit, because of the financial stability and strength, generally speaking, of, a, of an investment grade credit, most of that spread is really a reflection of technicals more than it is default risk. Uh, so when investors panicked in March and used corporate bonds to raise cash, it placed a lot of pressure on the market. Uh, that happened at the same time when companies were panicking and, and feeling like they needed to raise liquidity. So in basic economic terms, you had a market that was oversupplied and virtually no demand, which is when the Fed stepped in and communicated that we'd be buying bonds in many sectors, including, of course, investment grade corporates. So now looking at the second half of the year, uh, we expect less new issue supply uh, because so many companies have already issued. And then if you net maturing bonds in the second half, you may have a second half that really has no net uh, issuance in the corporate market. So that's certainly a supply, uh, positive from a market supply standpoint. So moving on to the demand side, uh, the yield on the investment grade market as a whole is actually lower today than the dividend yield of the S&P 500 index. Uh, that's unusual and that's not supportive for technicals. However, yields in the U.S. are actually more attractive uh, than those alternatives outside the U.S. So that's still a uh, supportive technical. Now getting to the Fed, uh, it's actually bought very little relative to kind of its headline capacity number. So it does have a lot of dry powder. It spreads widen before the September 30th deadline. Um, that's very supportive in the near term. So after September, if projected economic growth becomes disappointing, um, we would expect investors to rotate once again into higher quality assets like cash. Uh, so to answer the question on how they'll influence returns uh, in terms of technicals, it's really not a simple one, but we'd say generally they are supportive unless the virus remains problematic or a vaccine is delayed, for example. Okay. Um, so you mentioned the potential for disappointing growth in the second half of the year. 
And you also mentioned uh, uh, maybe a delayed vaccine. So uh, that's clearly going to affect growth and fundamentals going forward. Uh, what is our view or AAM's view of when a vaccine will be available? Yeah, it's a key question. Um, there are many vaccines in development, a uh, relatively smaller number in phase three trials, but uh, it does appear that we could potentially start hearing about those results around the October, November timeframe. Uh, we looked to a survey that was done to 184 C-level executives and 37 investors across the healthcare sector in May through June, so relatively recent. Uh, 75% of those experts estimated that a vaccine will be available in the second half of 2021 or later. And two-thirds of those respondents put the probability for a widely available vaccine at about 50%, with 49% uh, putting the likelihood of a therapeutic at greater than 50%. So it's not um, the market, I think, reflecting a very optimistic case with a uh, with the expectation of a, of a vaccine earlier than when th what these experts are forecasting. So that's one of the risks that we had cited. Um, and of course, even if the phase three trials go as planned, there's no guarantee that the vaccine will meet FDA guidelines or will be trusted um, by uh, all of us. So our review remains though, that there will be an effective usable vaccine, um, but that it won't be readily available for use until next year and probably not until the middle of next year at the earliest. Okay, I think that response provides a nice segue into my last question. I think one of the most important takeaways from the second quarter earnings season so far has been the strength of the banking sector and its ability to deal with the economic challenges due to the COVID um, issues. So, Maybe you can describe why the strength of the banking sector is so important for the economy in general. Sure. Um, while we've seen variations in the bank's approach to reserving over the past two quarters, uh, they are preparing for a protracted downturn with outlooks generally calling for about 10% unemployment levels to remain through this year and then gradual reductions through 2021 uh, accompanied by a slow return to economic growth in, in the fiscal 2021. So that's the uh, backdrop that they are that they're using and, and giving investors comfort uh, that that's a very um, conservative scenario. So it's important that the banks have this capacity to lend in times like this uh, because really that liquidity is is kind of the oil that keeps the economic engine running, so to speak. So. Uh, when we were going through our various scenarios, our bear case scenario was one in which small and medium-sized companies didn't have access to capital for working capital or just refinancing maturing debt. Uh, that causes defaults to increase, of course, and then becomes very problematic for leverage structures and markets. Uh, so that when you talk about transforming a public health crisis into a financial crisis, that's how it happens. Uh, that's your financial crisis as structures have to be unwound, causing material repricing in um, various loans, and then of course charge-offs at the banks, which continued at that that vicious cycle. Okay. Well, let's hope that the banks can continue to uh, show the strength that they demonstrated in the in the second quarter. So, 
Um, thanks for all that information, Elizabeth. Uh, it's sure to be a challenging second half of the year. Um, and thank you for listening to the Portfolio Fix. If you have any questions about what we discussed today, please reach out to your portfolio manager or contact our marketing team at aamcompany.com. During our next podcast, Marco will review the key economic data he highlighted earlier and will be joined by another member of our investment team. Thanks.